Morning, Mission View. How you doing this morning? Awesome worship time today. Love that worship set. Man, I, that last song, I, I, I love what uh, Jesse said about that last week. You know, that reckless love of God, it's only reckless from our perspective, right? It's only reckless from our perspective because God is God. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but like when I, I think about my life and I think about this journey of Christianity that I'm on, man, I struggle and I, I make mistakes. And, and I'm like, why would he love me? Why would he love me when I think the things that I think and sometimes do the things that I do? It seems reckless that he would love a sinner like me. But he does because he's God and he's made a way for us. That's, I think that's a, a powerful perspective of that song and something I, I hope we don't, don't miss. Well, we are in a sermon series called Finding Joy, and we've been going through the book of Philippians, and it's been a really powerful sermon series so far. I really enjoy just diving in deep to um, Philippians. But if this is your first time here today at Mission View, I just want to give you a warm welcome. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. And I am so glad that you've decided to worship with us today. Last week, we talked about how we are to strain towards righteousness and, and look to only trusted teachers whose lives really resemble biblical standards. Um, Paul talked about saying, hey, do, do what I do as long as I'm doing what God's called me to do. Look at my life. And, and as he said that, what we took away from that is when we look at people's lives, when we hear all these teachers, I mean, the world has changed. We've got media everywhere. You can get on YouTube and find any preacher you want. Jump on the radio, listen to any teacher you could find. What we really gathered from what Paul's talking about last week is you really got to look out. You've got to weigh everything that you hear. Everything that I say, you should open up this book and test what I say. If it's not in here, if, it, this, is, if this isn't what I'm talking about, then disregard it. We are after God's word, not man's word. And so we really talked about that a little bit last week. This week, Paul gets personal. I mean, he, he starts naming names and calling people out. How would it be like if, if I did that today? If I just started naming names and calling people out? I'm not going to do that. Sit back and relax, you know. I'm not going to do that. But Paul, man, he has, he's not holding anything back. He's, this is a letter that he wrote to a church in Philippi. And Paul would write this letter. The pastor of the church would get up in front of the church and he's reading this letter. And he just starts naming names. Just calling them out. Hey, work on this stuff. And help these people. Come, come alongside these people. Help them with what they're dealing with, everybody. Just, it's really personal. Well, he starts out with a call to unity here. And I don't know if you remember or not, but in Philippians 1, he started out that way as well. It's kind of book ends to the book of Philippians. This idea of unity and calling the church together. Two themes of um, Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9, which is what we're going to be looking at today. Two things that we're really going to look at. Unity and freedom from fear and anxiety. This is really where, what Paul's getting at, the strong topics of what he's going to talk about. So let's pray before we read God's word today in Philippians. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just offer up our hearts to you right now. We thank you that uh, you are here with us. 
We just thank you that you are faithful. And when we come together in, in unity and sing these songs and these lyrics to you and about you, God, that you come, that you show up in powerful ways, and we are so thankful for that. So right now, as we look into your word, I pray that you would move on our hearts that we would receive the truths of your word, that it would change us and that we would go out from this place different than we came in and that what you pour into us, God, would overflow into our lives, onto our neighbors, onto our family members, onto our coworkers. God, that you would be glorified in what we do and say for your kingdom and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Philippians 4, we're going to start in verse 2. I entreat you, Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. There it is. He's just calling them out. Just calling them out by name. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. God's word for us today. The first thing I want to pull out of the text today, we find right at the beginning. It says, I entreat you, Iodia, and I entreat Syntax to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. One cool thing I just want to point out before we jump into this is Paul's talking about these women that worked with him side by side. I think the church has kind of gotten into a debate on different things and, and women's roles in the church, women's roles and everything. We see that from the very beginning, that, that men and women were created in the image of God, equal, side by side, that we strive towards the gospel side by side. There's, there's no more value on men than there is on women. We are equal in worth, equal in value. Now, we believe at Mission View Church that, that men and women have roles set aside, that God has set aside roles for men and women, different roles, complementary roles for each of us. But it's awesome to see that Paul just, that they were striving to the, for the gospel side by side together. And that's what we want to do here at Mission View Church, side by side. Now, here we see that Paul is calling them to unity. That's the first thing you can write down today. We are called to a unity that is an example to the world. Paul, over and over again throughout this book and much of the New Testament, calls the church to unity and kindness towards one another. This unity or kindness is meant to be an example to the world. I love the word that he uses here too, reasonableness that we would be a reasonable people, that we would reason well. 
Now let's think about this for a moment. Moment. To walk in unity takes serious work and a lot of different sacrifices. But I want to talk about three that can make a huge difference as we work for unity. What does it mean to be reasonable, to have sound judgment, to be able to think and reason logically? There are three things I've talked about before, but here Paul repeats this unity theme, so I think it's worth us revisiting. And I want to call this the three keys to unity or three keys to being reasonable. The first one is humility. And Paul already mentioned that in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Let each of us look not only to our own interests, but also the interests of others. And he goes on to describe the perfect example of humility who is the person, Jesus Christ. Who left heaven. I mean, he he was there. The, The very place that you and I are longing to go to one day, Jesus was there at the right hand of God the Father. And he walked out. And he put on flesh. He became a man. The Bible says that he humbled himself to the point of becoming a man. And then died on a cross. To the extent of dying on the cross. That the creator of the universe allowed his creation to kill him. And Paul's like, no holds barred. He's like, When we talk about humility, here's the standard, Jesus. You talk about humility. You know, at any moment, as Christ was on the cross or as he was being beaten almost to death, he could have just snapped his fingers or thought a thought and ended it all, started over, just wiped the slate clean. But he didn't. He didn't. Christ, the perfect picture of humility, And as we think about that kind of humility, Paul talks about let each of us think not only of our own interests, but also the interests of others, that we would consider others better than ourselves, just as Christ did. Humility is found in looking to the person of Jesus Christ. Humility, number one. The second one is repentance. Repentance is the result of the Holy Spirit working within us in the process of changing our thinking, which results in a a change from sinful thinking and behavior to thinking and behavior that is pleasing to God. This word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which, which means a change of mind as it appears to the one who repents. Meta meaning after the action, noia meaning understanding. Repentance is when a person has understood after the action or behavior has occurred and realizes that they should not have done it and has sorrow for choosing this particular behavior. True repentance in our lives involves our thinking, our emotions, the choices that we make, change in desires, change in behavior. Repentance, this word has kind of gotten a bad rap. 
So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a bad word in church right now, you know? That's old preachers back in the day were standing on corners, repent, sinners repent. So we, you know, a lot of pastors today are, are hesitant to say the word. But here's the reality is there's no real relationship with God without repentance. There isn't. Now get this. There's no continuing relationship or journey with Christ apart from repentance. <laughs> I like to say it this way. If there, is, if there is one thing, I mean one thing that we should be like amazingly good at, if we should be professionals in anything, there's one thing we should be phenomenal at. Repenting. Because we make mistakes. Because we do things that we shouldn't do. And we think things that we shouldn't think. There's one thing that we should practice over and over again. And it's acknowledging our desperate need for a Savior. Jesus. So the first thing is humility. The second thing is repentance. And the third one is forgiveness. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiveness is a promise and a process we are all involved in with God as our model and instructor, and instructor which is not based on feelings, but rather based on the promise of Scripture and our being obedient to its instructions. Now, there's a little misconception here about forgiveness versus apologizing. Now, the Bible gives us clear guidelines for living a godly life. We understand the difference between right and wrong. We know that when we make wrong choices, the result is that we feel bad. Like there's this weight of guilt that's put on our back. Have you ever felt that way before? Man, you, you do something or say something, and if you're married... You, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You, you, you've said something to your spouse or you've said something to a friend or to a sibling and, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But you're just so frustrated in the moment. You don't say anything about it. And you just kind of walk away and then it's just nagging on your conscience the whole time, right? This is that weight of guilt. I mean, we've all dealt with it. We've all been there. When we say the words, I'm sorry, is that sufficient? Is that sufficient? Is that biblical repentance, which would then give opportunity for biblical forgiveness? The answer is no. The Bible clearly defines forgiveness as much more than that. When we ask for forgiveness from God or from others, we need to say this. I'm sorry, I was wrong when I said this. Now, here's a really key phrase. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? I, I try and paint the picture this way. When we've done something wrong, we have that weight of guilt thrown on our backs. It's like this backpack that's just full of weights, and it's weighing us down. When we go to that person that we've sinned against, and we ask them for their, forgive, for their forgiveness. It's like we're taking this 500-pound backpack off of our backs and just throwing it onto them. And then they have to deal with it. 
Forgiveness is a process. Repentance is amazing. You know, that God, the Holy Spirit comes in us, brings a sweet conviction. We turn from our sins and we acknowledge God. We ask for his forgiveness. We go to those who we've sinned against, ask for their forgiveness. And that weight of guilt is instantly taken off. The Bible says that God remembers our sins no more. And we feel free. We're like, yes, thank you, Lord. And that person we sinned against is standing in front of us weeping, broken, and hurting. And now they have to deal with this 500-pound backpack of weight and extending forgiveness to us. Okay, that's the process. This beautiful process of repentance and forgiveness. When, when God is calling the church to unity, this is an opportunity for us to actually be and do what he's called us to do. What better representation of Christ can we be than to actually walk through life, real life, and do what he did for us? That Jesus came and, and made a way for us, and, and even though we didn't deserve it, he went to the cross for you and I. So in this really practical, applicable process that God's given us, we can actually show the world the love of Christ as, as I forgive those who've, who've hurt me and, and as you forgive those who have hurt you and we repent and extend forgiveness to one another. What we're doing is we're painting a picture of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the cost of unity. That's the beauty of unity. That's the example of unity that God has called us to. Humility, repentance, forgiveness. If we're going to be the church that God's called us to be, this is something we're going to have to practice. It doesn't just happen. It's not easy. It's hard. It's painful. It's a process. But it's beautiful. And it's what Christ has done for you and I. And he's calling us to do it for one another. Three, three things that's going to help us with unity in the church. Here's another thing that I wanted to talk about that will help us be unified in what we're doing. And that is vision. I think one of the major things that causes division in the church is a lack of vision. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you some of the things that, that we're, we're running after as Mission View Church that there are 200,000 people who don't know Christ, have no religious affiliation whatsoever in Stark County within a 15-minute drive of Hoover High School. 200,000 people that are on their way to hell. They don't know Christ. That is our mission. Those are the people that we are after, that we want to tell about Jesus. We want to introduce them to Jesus. We are here right now for the people that aren't here yet. We have a vision and a mission that God has called us to. And we are after those who don't know Christ yet. Are you reaching out to them? Are you sharing the love of Christ with your neighbors and friends and, and family members? It's something that we have to keep at the forefront of our minds all the time, isn't it? Because it's easy just to get caught up in the monotony and, and the, the, the cycle of life if we're not really thinking about the mission, the vision that God has called us to. We could get caught up in, in things like 
The color of the carpet's not good enough for me. Ah, church was okay, but they didn't play my favorite song, so, you know. Or I was coming to church today and the greeter missed me, so, you know what, I'm out. When we, when, we, when we keep the vision and the mission that God has called us to, the Great Commission, as we read through that, we keep that in the forefront of our minds. You know what? The color of the carpet doesn't really actually mean all that much because there's 200,000 people that need to know Christ. The style of the music kind of, kind of fades to the background as, as long as it's biblical and as long as the lyrics are pointing to Christ or as long as it's glorifying. You know what? There are people that need to know Jesus. When we keep the mission and the vision of what God has called us to in the forefront of our minds, it unifies us. We are on a mission. Every one of us. You may be sitting out there right now wondering, well, what is my part to play? You have a mission. God has brought you here for a purpose. You're not here by happenstance. This is not accidental that you're sitting out there. God has placed specific gifts in you for his kingdom at Mission View Church right now. What are they? What is it? Are you a teacher? Are you a, a missionary? Do you want to reach out to people? Maybe your top gift is having people over to your home, hospitality. Maybe you're a prayer warrior. You just love to pray. Chris Dorfler, the guy who did the, uh, the prayer time this morning, man, he is a prayer warrior. Maybe you just love to pray, get connected. Maybe you like working with kids. Maybe you like working with teenagers or young adults. Talk to somebody. Don't, don't sit on the side and watch God's kingdom go by. Be a part. God has gifted you. God has purpose for you. Those are some things that will keep us, keep us together, keep us focused on what God has called us to and unify us together. Now, it's not easy. Dealing with unity and working towards you is not easy. But if we keep these things inside, that, that we would humbly repent and forgive and, and stay on mission, it'll make it a little bit easier for us. And I think that's what really Paul's getting at. Let's move on in our text into uh, verse 4 here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, that's like the theme throughout all Philippians, right? The, the word joy, the word rejoice over and over and over again that, that we find joy here. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And here it is. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, I love, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the second thing you can write down this morning is this, that anxiety dies in rejoicing and thanksgiving with prayer and supplication. We start here at this part of the text with what? Rejoicing. Always rejoice in the Lord. When the sun is shining and the life is great and we get up and it's 72 degrees and it stays 72 degrees all day with low humidity and we shoot par on the golf course and everything's great, rejoice in the Lord. Amen? Any par shooters out there? Okay, great. 
When we wake up in the morning and it's raining and our tea time is canceled and we have to stay late at work and things falling apart and the kids are acting out, we rejoice in the Lord, right? Always, we always rejoice in the Lord. This, this isn't some fake, oh, praise the Lord, my life's miserable. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's getting at. It is the way we pray and what we believe in our hearts. That was what Paul's addressing. What do we really believe? What are we replaying in our minds over and over again? Is it the doom and gloom of headline news? Or is it the reality of a risen king who's coming again one day? We have to realize this. Now hear me on this, church. Rejoicing in the Lord is not based on our current circumstances. It is based on his eternal promises. Let me say that again. Rejoicing, oh, it's on the screens, good. Rejoicing in the Lord is not based on our current circumstances. It is based on his eternal promises. So when I, I'm going through life and everything's great, it's easy for everyone around me, you know, life's great. I just rejoice, woo, God's awesome. And everybody's like, yeah, I see that. But when things aren't going great, I recognize who God is. I look to his promises. I trust what his word says. And I rejoice in my tears. I rejoice in my sorrows because I know, I know that the word says nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. No matter what you are going through, I don't care what it is, how hard it is, the pain that you're in, the suffering that you're going through, nothing, nothing is wasted in God's kingdom. It says, his word says that God works all things together for good for those called according to his purposes. That's his promise to us. That's his promise to you. Nothing is wasted. Here's a side note on that. Whatever it is, don't go through it alone. Don't go through it alone. Talk to somebody in your community group. If you're not in a community group, join a community group. Get connected and, and do life together with someone else. God created us to, to live in community together. In fact, our God exists in a holy community, a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he's created us to do life together. Don't go through it alone. Call the church offices. We will connect you with a community group that will walk with you through whatever you're going through. This isn't some fake kind of rejoicing. It's a rejoicing in the acknowledgement of who God is. I could say it this way. Rejoicing in the Lord isn't based on our ability, power, or goodness. It is based on God's ability, power, and goodness. Now, Paul is addressing conflict here. Things aren't all rainbows and unicorns in Philippi. 
There's some frustration. There's some serious issues. There's some anger going on. And Paul still says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. He goes on to say that this rejoicing informs our prayers. So we come to God in prayer rejoicing with thanksgiving. We ask or plead with the Lord. Supplication actually means to ask or beg. Supplication. Think of it this way. Here's something really practical. We, we should pray like this. God, you are awesome. You are all-powerful. Everything in heaven and on earth are yours. There is nothing you can't do. Everything in my life is yours. And I want to thank you for all the blessings you have poured out on me. I thank you for my family, for my church, for my friends, and for my job. Thank you for today that I can live for your kingdom, for you, God. Thank you for the ability to draw breath. Lord, I know I don't deserve any of these things, but in your kindness and grace, you have given these things to me. And then we bring our requests to the Lord. After we acknowledge who he is, after we rejoice in who he is, that's a whole lot different than starting our prayers out with just how we feel about our circumstances or even just starting out with our circumstances, right? Oh, Lord, it's raining outside. Oh, Lord, it's been a rough week at work. Lord, my boss is so mean. That's a lot different way to start prayer, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying that we don't go there. I mean, we got to be honest with the Lord, right? I mean, if you read through the Psalms, David and some of the other Psalm writers were like brutally honest with the Lord. They, why have you betrayed me, O Lord? There's some psalms out there. Why have you left me here to die on my own, alone? This is David, a man after God's own heart, right? He's like, why would you do this? You have delivered me to my enemies. I am going to die right here. God, why have you done this? But here's the thing. As we read through the psalms, we should do a study in psalms sometime. But as we read through the psalms, David always makes it to the process. He always makes it to, he always turns it to this, like, why have you left me here to die? I am alone. I am surely to die. Why have you forgotten me, O Lord? But, O Lord, you are my God. You are good. You have a plan, O God. He, it's amazing. I, lo I love how you can, you can see the pro I don't know how long it took him to write some of those psalms. I'm wondering if he wrote them, you know, over time. I, you know, maybe he just sat down and wrote, I don't know. But, but maybe there was some process that happened in his heart and his life. But, but, but he always makes that transition. From the desperation of our circumstances to the reality of our true circumstances. That God is God. That he's coming again one day to make all the wrong things right. He's going to take us to heaven. There's a real God and a real heaven. You know, the Bible says that we're aliens here. This isn't really our home. 
our real home is with him. We just have to believe it. We just have to live it. It helps us deal with the realities of life. So that's what Paul's getting at. In your struggles, in your frustrations, don't forget who's got you in his hands. Don't forget who your father is. It says, don't worry about tomorrow. One of my favorite verses about anxiety or being anxious is in Matthew 6. It starts in verse 25. It says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, anxious can add a single hour to his, life, his span of life? I love that last part, I love that. And which of you, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. Now, here's what I love about God's word. He doesn't just say, don't worry or don't be anxious and then send us out into the chaos of the world. He then gives us the key to deal with worry and being anxious. We find it right here in verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, now here's a key phrase, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul's telling us how to do it, how we train our minds and our hearts and overcome anxiety and fear. And it's the third thing you can write down today. Fix our hearts, our attention, and our minds on Christ. Christ is true. Christ is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent. He's the only one worthy of our praise. Paul's pointing us to Christ, what he's done, who he is, everything about him. Fix our hearts, fix our attention, our minds on Christ. He's the only one worthy. When we think on Christ, he brings us freedom. Freedom from the worries of this life. Think about it. The struggles that we go through here on this earth can be so overwhelming and, and, and hear me, church, I, I don't want to make, make the problems that you're going through small, because they're not. When we're going through struggles, it's difficult. It feels like Mount Everest. It really does. But as we are dealing with these struggles, as we are dealing with these things, it's, it would be easy to be, be overwhelmed by them and, and see them as Mount Everest. If... We don't have our eyes on Christ. The guy who created Mount Everest, right? 
it would be easy to be overwhelmed by whatever weakness or struggle we're going through if we take our eyes off the God that can pull us out of those struggles. You see, God is bigger. God is stronger. God is better than all of those things. All of them. And we have to train our minds to focus on him. It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. This, there's, there's no quick fix to anxiety and worry. It is a continual training our minds. The Bible says to take every thought captive and bring it to obedience to Christ. Every thought. I don't know about you, but my mind is racing all the time. Millions, billions of thoughts every day. All the time. And his word says, take every single one of them captive and bring them to obedience to Christ. How do we bring them into obedience to Christ? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, that list that we would focus on the beauties of Christ. It's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. But God can meet us in our worries and help us. Only he can do it. So what are some ways that we can, practical ways that we can fix our attention on Christ? One thing that's really helped me is singing songs of worship. That it just, I don't know what it is about music, it, it, kind of the rhythm of things, the lyric of things, the melody of things, just how it goes, that it, it helps me focus on who he is. It's nice for me to, to go through my week and, and listen to, you know, the songs that we played today. A lot of those are on my playlist. And so when, when I came on on Sunday morning, I already know the lyrics to those songs. I don't even need to look at the screen. I can just kind of close my eyes over there and, and you know, yell my heart out, you know. If, if you ever sit close to me, you'll probably hear me. And you, that's probably why I'm by myself over here <laughs> in the front. There's nobody else over there. It's because I'm a little loud. But anyways, it, it, help, it helps us focus our hearts and our minds on who he is, what his word says. A good, a good worship song is based on this book and finds its lyrics from this book, you know, and its ideas from this book. So, so it helps us focus our hearts on who he is and, and what he says about himself, which is the most important thing, is what God says about who he is. Not what men say about who he is, but what his word says about who he is. So those worship songs, that, that kind of helps us. And it helps us together as well. And I found that to be um, really helpful for me. Another way I focus on Christ is the Bible. The most important piece, right? So I love to just set aside time every day to, to be in this book, to be in his word. And it's the best way that we connect with our creator and learn about who he is. And it's, it's not easy. Now, reading this book isn't easy. I mean, it, well, it's easy to read, but it's not always easy to feed on. It's, it's easy to read. It's not easy to feed. So what we have to do is, is train ourselves in his word, that meditate on his word and learn how to feed on his word. 
you know, learning about different things of, of how Paul wrote and, and how Jesus taught throughout the scriptures and who he is. If, if you're new to this book, a, a great place to start is in the New Testament, one of the gospels, uh, specifically, probably the gospel of John. If you're just starting out, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four books, the first four books of the New Testament, and they, they tell us the story of Jesus. They tell about his birth. They tell us about his life. They tell us about how he recruited the disciples and, and how he was betrayed and, and how he was crucified, how he rose from the dead, which is a key part of Christianity, and how he uh, appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses and, and then how he ascended into heaven. It talks about all those, those kinds of things. So if you're new to God's word, well, Actually, I love reading, you know, I've been in God's Word for a while, and I love going back and reading the Gospels too. So all of us are great. It's great to read some of the Gospels and, and get to know who Jesus is. Um, so if you're just starting out. But I just, I just love to read His Word and, and learn about who He is. Another way is through conversations with other believers. When I'm struggling or working through something, I love to talk to others who know the Lord and have walked with Him for a while. I, who is it in your life? Some of those, those older believers, man, I love talking to my dad. Man, my dad's been walking with the Lord since before I was born. So, I mean, he's probably forgotten more scripture than I know and has heard more sermons than, than I could dream of. And he loves Jesus. And so if I'm going through something, you know, if one of the kids are acting up or doing something, I'll call my dad and be like, man, you know, this is awful. I can't believe that, you know, so my son did this. And he's, and, and he's, my dad's always says something like, well, you remember when you did that too, right? And I'm like, wait a second. You turn this around on me. No, he's, I, and I say, how should I, how do I approach him? How do I deal with this? You know, and, you know, talk through the struggles of life with somebody who's been there, done that and loves Jesus, you know, loves the Lord, that they can speak his truth into our life. Have conversations with other believers, people that you trust. Another way that I like to do this is something I learned from um, the, my pastor from where I came from, EUM Church, his name is Jeff Harper. And he does this thing called a breath prayer. I'd never heard of this before. But what he does is he thinks of a prayer each day that he can say within a breath. So as quickly as a breath going out of your lungs, help me with your peace. Help me with your peace. And so he'll think of something maybe he's going through or struggling with and when he wakes up that day, as he breathes all day, it's like this constant prayer that never ceases, that he's always actually actively conversating with the Lord. Lord, help me know your peace. Help me know your peace. He called it a breath prayer. I, and I do that sometimes when I'm really just seeking after the Lord. That's a neat thing to do. I think being anxious, like what Paul's addressing here, And disunity go hand in hand. Maybe that's why God put them together here. And maybe why the church in Philippi was struggling with both of them. It is hard to be unified and at peace with one another and have peace in our hearts when we are stirred up and, and living on the edge, worried about tomorrow or next month. I think that's probably why Paul put that in there. And why it's so important for us to, to really draw near to him in these things. Let's go on in verse 9 here. Read this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, 
practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You see, the promise is peace. The promise is peace. As we focus on Christ, as we look to him in all these things, who here needs more peace in their life? Anybody? Anybody need more peace in your life? I know I do. Man, I, I struggle with anxiety and worry. And all these, I got teenage kids. I got two teenage daughters. Can I get an amen? Anxiety, worry? Oh, thank God. Josh Chandler, me and you, brother. Me and you, brother. Beautiful daughters, you know, just like, Lord, help me. That's, 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 my, that's been like my breath prayer uh, here uh, with teenage kids. Lord, help me. Help me. That's like, that's like throwing it out there, man. No, it's, it's, the promise is peace. You know, it's hard as we go through these things and deal with all these things. All of us, all of us have things that weigh on our minds and, and bring stress into our life if, if we forget who he is. And if we forget who we are in him because of his grace, because of his love, because of his power, and because of his goodness. Don't get caught up. So a couple of things we need to take away from this text or, or, or what Paul's given us here is, is one, do the hard work of unity through humbly repenting and forgiving. Remember, we have bigger fish to fry than being upset with the kind of donuts we get or, or what, whatever else it may be. There's 200,000 people out there that need to know Jesus. Two, don't let our circumstances determine our outlook or how we pray. Let the glory of God do that. Now, like I said, this isn't denial. It's not denying our circumstances. It's acknowledging his power in the midst of our circumstances. That's how we rejoice. And third, fight the good fight against anxiety and stress by focusing our minds and hearts on Christ. This is the big takeaway. Right here, ready? Dive deep into who Christ is. He is our hope. Now, I've asked Jesse to do this song today. Now, you may be familiar with it from the radio, but I believe it conveys the key parts of today's text. Let's sing this song as we give all that we have, all of our worries, our concerns, our frustrations, or maybe it's, it's our praise and, and joys of what God's doing in and through our hearts and in our lives. Let's give it all to God today. Would you stand and sing the song with us?